Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act One! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com. Also, Twitter and Instagram at WG Therapy individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter, Tom Loveman on Instagram, and on Twitch. Yes, and it's super fun, by the way. He's playing a lot of really fun games. And I am at Moon Lily Music on Instagram and at Roshni Lamainu on Twitter. There's been a lot going on. Well, it's kind of, we're, we're, um, we're past the Oscars now. Award season is kind of over. Which I'm sure you're uh, glad about because now you can drive around town. Oh, God, it's been a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> they closed like, uh, well, especially yesterday with the Oscars. Um, I was walking to uh, my other day job at nine in the morning, they already had closed the major streets in Hollywood. Yeah. They had literally like, you know, barricades, like you're trying to get into the embassy or something. It's insane. So we're all happy that's over with. Can I just say also, I'm really bummed that Claus did not win in animation. I still haven't seen it yet, but you you said it was really good. It's amazing. And now I'll be honest, I have not seen Toy Story 4, but I just kind of feel like eh, Claus was original. This was yeah, a Story, I just watched Toy Story 4 because it's on Disney Plus now. And mm-hmm. it was kind of more of the same. It had, you know, some u- new unique things, but and it really did do the old tugging at the heartstrings kind of stuff. But it was, yeah, it was more Toy Story. Mm. It wasn't original. That just made me sad. Carry on. Let's talk about other movies. <laughs> So uh, Parasite was a big winner. Have you seen that yet? No, but I've heard a lot of good things. Four wins, best picture, uh, director, screenplay, and I can't remember what the fourth one was. I got four, uh, but huge, huge. I love the movie. I thought it was great. Um, I do uh, like the Asian cinema. I think they do a great job. The thing about the story is, yeah, it's in subtitles. It's in Korean. Uh, it's really not a story that's Korean particularly. It is a story could be that you could technically remake that movie in any language. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a really good story is the key to it. Uh, great characters, really. You know, it's fun. It's a weird movie. It kind of it kind of starts out as kind of a dark comedy, and then it goes real dark and becomes almost horror esque towards the end. Mm-hmm. But it's really well done, so I recommend. It's, it'll probably pop up in more screens now in theaters because it won. Of course, so yeah. You'll, maybe you'll have a chance. It was hard to find actually when I when I finally did see it. It was at like the secondary theater in Burbank, not the main big sixteen screen theater. It was at the like the smaller one in the mall. And making history as being the first foreign language film to win in that category. It is. Yeah. It is. So now we can kind of chill from all the awards. Award season's over. We can focus on uh, pilot season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> pilot season and more TV than you can possibly uh, dream of. I actually saw an article that said something like last year there were 400, it was over 450 original scripted series last year on all the networks and streaming services. Oh, my gosh. And honestly, like most of them, you'll never even, they'll be, they'll be a blip on the radar, I feel. They'll be, yeah. you know, in and out really quick. They, they come and go so fast. I mean, half of Netflix's stuff, the only way you know about it is because they spam you. Mm-hmm. Like, you might like this show. I will say, I mean, I don't know if, I feel like with streaming services uh, coming into the 
into the market and everything, have you noticed a shift over the last couple of years that it really isn't about ads or billboards or anything? It's all word of mouth. If your show survives, it's all word of mouth. It's very grassroots. It is um, because there's so many. It's, yeah. You know, how can you how do you advertise for all the shows? Um, or uh, Peacock, the new NBC ad supported streamer is going to be launching late this year. They're launching with 15 new scripted originals, a couple unscripted, and are still working on a whole bunch of pilots. I mean, how do you promote all those shows at once? Apple TV Plus only launched with like I think eight shows, and of those, they only really po- uh, they only really pushed the uh, morning show one. The morning show was big. That See, was- they, they did a lot for C actually. That was the Jason Momoa sci-fi one. Oh, I had I heard nothing about that one. No, you didn't. Oh, they no, had around town. Um, okay. A lot of the advertising for Apple, they're doing a lot of advertising in theaters. Like they're doing trailers pre-movies mm. so they can reach those people who are going to go home and what are we going to watch tonight after this movie? But I mean, think about it. Like, so we're in Hollywood where people do advertise TV shows and movies on billboards. But I remember when I first moved here, they don't do that in the Midwest. That's not how you find out about a movie or a TV show. It's usually advertising or the mm-hmm. trailers ahead of a movie or the water cooler talk. And even out here now, I don't pay attention to the billboards anymore. So again, I don't even watch a show unless I hear my coworkers talking about it and talking about it for several weeks where I'm like, okay, that sounds like a really good show. Maybe I'll, you know, even if I am two seasons late, I, I wait till I hear that momentum because I'm like, I don't have enough time to go invest in like 20 shows. So the water cooler talk is back. And it's, a, I think it's back in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's see. Uh, a lot of other news to get to. Um, the uh, WGA's got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, they came out with a list of their priorities for the upcoming, what do you call it, uh, negotiations with the studios mm-hmm. and the directors. The agreement is up May 1st. Um, they want, you know, a lot of this is it's the same stuff they want every time. They want improved residuals. Uh, they want increased minimum compensation, strength and protections for writers that, um, you know, like, you know, right on these shows with really short seasons, you know, how do, how do you, how do you make a living when you only have eight episodes a year? Some of these shows are, are that little uh, a call, you know, and then. But then you also can't write for another show while you're on that eight episode show. Yeah, you can't kind overlap of at least. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose if you got in a, in a situation where a network was uh, liked your writing, you know, you could write for one show for them and then write for another show for the same network because they, they would be able to kind of schedule you throughout the year on multiple shows on their network but that's not really how it works as you know it's always show by show yeah they used to do that way way back black and white movie days uh the studios used to just hire writers themselves and make their own movies and they just had a staff of writers and then they had actors that worked only for that studio i mean interestingly enough so may 1st is also pretty much the tail end of actor pilot season so like Mm -hmm. going into may that's going to be drop ad season for agents especially for actors i'm not really sure the drop ad season for writers but that's basically the end of the pilot season craze and so uh they're also thinking there might be a strike this summer so they're stockpiling scripts but the interesting thing about that is you know they're they're looking for uh so there have been there have been a lot of the wga hashtags like the the um I'm trying to remember all of them, like the boosting, boost staffing. And there's another one that's like, yeah. uh, uh, I can't remember all of the, I should have written all the hashtags out, but there's a lot of like, oh, solidarity, WGA solidarity. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. And 
the interesting thing about it is they're stockpiling these scripts, but they're still not really, they have these lists of WGA writers who don't have representation anymore, but it's like, how do you even get on that list? And then for non-WGA writers, like, what, what on earth happens to you in all of this? Well, as non-WGA writers, we don't really have access or see what all is going on within the WGA and how the writers are dealing with it. Uh, fortunately, in our interview later, we will be talking with uh, Sam Gash, who is a WGA writer, who, who, who brings up some points about that. So stay tuned for that interview. Very handy. Yes. <laughs> it is interesting. The stockpiling, though, it's kind of like the studios learned their lesson from last writer's strike um, because... You know, they had to go to a lot of reality TV during the strike because they don't have to hire writers, which nowadays it's ironic. They do have writers for reality TV. I've I've ruined many uh, a layperson by telling them, I'm sorry, reality TV is actually scripted. It's really made people very sad. Now, even even stockpiling, though, is kind of tricky because um, after uh, movies that came out after the strike or during the strike, where they didn't have writers, they had to it had to film it exactly as it written. It's written. You're not allowed to rewrite anything. You know, there's an occasional ad lib on set, but you're not allowed to rewrite any scripts during production. So there were some pretty mediocre movies and stuff that came out because they had to use what they had on the page. So stockpiling isn't always great unless all the the scripts are perfect. You know, to go mm-hmm. to 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 screen with. And it does. I mean, there is an actual interesting point in here. You know that you have. You pulled the quote here from Mark Guggenheim, who's a writer and producer, and he says, on the one hand, we feel an obligation to our cast and crews to keep them working, but if we're also stockpiling scripts, aren't we just helping the studios and the networks through the strike? Yeah. Are we being our own worst enemy? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a short term, you know, because you're like, cool, I sold a script, but then in the long term, you've actually hurt yourself. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, that won't work forever because- you know, uh, if you run out of your stockpile or after it's over, you want there to be, you know, get back to work, uh, that could create bad blood, you know. Mm-hmm. But hopefully this is all preliminary. Everybody's just kind of posturing and kind of getting their ducks in a row uh, to start negotiations, which, um, you know, the DGA and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers are already negotiating separately. Um, so they could reach a deal before the actual studio um, negotiations start. And if they do, that could put pressure um, uh, on them to kind of accept similar terms. So hopefully, you know, nobody likes strikes, um, but hopefully everybody realizes that this industry is changing so dynamically, we have to keep up with it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, and I don't think it's too early right now. We're only in mid-February. So I think we'll really start seeing what's happening by about April. Yeah. And that is, that is the time, you know, May 1st is the time when, uh, staffing starts, you know, they've picked the pilots. Now it's like, okay, we're going to go into production. Let's start hiring writers. That's the very next thing they do. Yeah. So that's really important to get that done. Uh, what else is on our, on our bucket here? There's um, so much stuff. <laughs> coronavirus. Anyone for some coronavirus? Oh, geez. <laughs> China closed 70,000 movie theaters to try to, you know, curtail the spread. And, uh, you know, a lot of movies got postponed. There was a bunch of notices about uh, U.S. movies, American movies being postponed or canceling their releases in China because they don't want to release when people aren't going to go see the movies. Which is interesting because we pander to the Chinese market so much. There was a These time, days, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there was definitely a time, even 
within like the last five years were like, you quick, you got to write a Chinese national into the script. So it'll appeal to Chinese audiences because they want that, that market. Well, what do you do now? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, the foreign markets are a huge part of, you know, their, their budget or not their budgeting, their uh, estimates, their, Mm -hmm. you know, revenue estimates on movies. They expect if releasing in China is, you know, a huge chunk of that money. And if they can't get it, that's going to hurt. Speaking of Chinese movies, Mulan is the next Disney live action movie. That's going to be. I'm really excited for it. You know, I will say the trailer actually looks a lot better than a lot of their recent live action remakes. It does. Cause I, I don't feel like, uh, with, with Mulan, Mulan is like my, one of my favorite Disney movies because the hero, she has to kind of do it on her own. There's no magic, you know, so we don't have any talking animals, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you do. You have a talking dragon, but I know you mean. Not, n- not in this one. Not in this oh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah. You mean in live no, action. No, not in the live action. They're, they're going pretty s- straightforward on it. Uh, they may do something with the ancestors and the spirits. I don't know. Uh, you know, even, even in Mulan, Mushu is not that helpful. Uh, she really has to kind of pull it together and do it herself. Um, so I kind of think she's a really great hero. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there was some recent criticism because the actress who's playing Mulan, which um, I forgot her name, uh, she said something during the Hong Kong uh, protests um, about letting the police do their job and stuff like that. And it was really kind of taken, uh, took a big hit, um, uh, you know, PR hit on that oh. one. So I don't know. I don't know if she walked that back or not, but, you know, they're going to do some damage control, not just in China, but everywhere, because everyone's like, hey, human rights, which is ironic because of the the, the theme of the movie. Yeah. Do you know when Mulan is, com- is slated to come out? I want to say March 27th. It's the spring. Okay. Which is kind of a weird time. That's not like blockbuster time, but it's after Oscars. Like, it's after the Oscar slump time. So, I mean, there's not a big name in the film, so that might hurt the draw. But honestly, I feel like story-wise, it looks really, really solid just from the trailers alone. Well, with Disney, with Disney especially, Disney, uh, which is Star Wars and Marvel and all those, they've got something every month this year, pretty much. So they had to put, <laughs> pick where to put things. So they're not cannibalizing their own profits, probably. Exactly. Yeah. So something's going to go in March. Guess what? It's you, Mulan. That's so funny. Kind of spring break time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's cool. Oh, well, it'll be fun. I might, and in fact, I might even see that without water cooler talk. What? <laughs> <laughs> the only other news I saw, I saw an interesting story on L- LGBTQ representation. We talked about Star Wars last, uh, last episode. <laughs> yeah. And there was an article about how uh, the uh, kiss at the end of Star Wars. The was background kiss. Back. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, why do you just throw that in? That doesn't really um, do anything to support, you know, the cause, so to speak. Uh, and people were upset that there wasn't the another more prominent character or characters having some sort of LGBTQ kind of relationship. There was a lot of shipping for Poe and Finn. Yeah, we've talked about this before, like in in uh, regards to Beauty and the Beast and mm-hmm. Fu. And and I was like, I mean, okay, I don't. I'm I'm really getting sick of shoehorning diversity and for the sake of it, like just put characters in who happen to be gay or who happen to be, you know, Asian or whatever. And it's not like the central core of their identity. It's just a part of who they are. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't imagine in star Wars universe, they're like, you know, I have to be the gay engineer. Like it doesn't matter. You're just an engineer who happens to be gay. There's a difference. I don't right. think sexuality really 
is that important to the Star Wars universe. Just like I don't think race is, I mean, cl- uh, what is it? Speciesism is probably more important in Star Wars than racism. You know <laughs> what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't agree with shoehorning things in just because you feel like, oh, pat on the back, I did it. Look, I'm so diverse. And that being said, I feel like any diversity is a win for all groups. Like, you know, and, and this is this is me now. Please, people don't hate me. I will say LGBTQ has had representation for a very long time, very long time, not necessarily positive and not necessarily in the ways they'd like. But I'll tell you right now, Asians are finally getting their heyday in cinema. Like there's been, you know, uh, African-American shows and Latino shows and, you know, you had Will and Grace like in the 90s, like the other groups have been represented far longer, and even if they weren't represented well, they had something. We're finally, as Asians, are finally coming our own. So I'm like, hey, you know, I want to talk about that because you kind of missed a group in in the last 20 years, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I get why they're saying that about the shoehorn kiss in the background, and it is stupid. There's, But I feel like any sort of diversity win, putting Finn in as a black stormtrooper, that's still a win. You know, we need to get better and we need to do more, but we can't just focus on like one group. We should focus on all of them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. It's funny you said that because I, uh, coming out on Apple TV plus in a few, in a month or two is a new show called visible out loud on TV. It's an entire series about gay people on television. And it actually talks about, it goes back to, um, the seventies with Archie Bunker had a gay character on it. Mm -hmm. So that was a, um, a big deal back then. Yeah, it's it's uh, they're they're getting play. They're getting lots of attention, um, which is great. Um, bringing attention to the to the the underrepresented is wonderful. Let's just do it equally for everyone. Said the white man. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess what I find really funny about the whole thing, and not like funny, like haha, but like funny, ironic, is in college. You know, we had uh, what I can't remember, like Black Caucus, and I forget what the Latino one the Latino group was called and, you know, like the, the lesbian gay rights group, all of the different representation groups. Right. And then there was like, I think it was a PASO, Asian Pacific American, something, something. I wasn't a part of it. My sister actually was, but I remember when everyone was having their like little protests on campus, Asian Americans were always like, we're the model minority because people think we are never going to like have those protests and like burn a building down because we're not being represented and all that stuff. Whereas the other groups have that kind of mentality, you know, they have that persona where it's like, yeah, we're going to be vocal about our rights. And like Asians are like, no, we're not. And it's kind of ironic to me with everything going on about this representation. Like we're still being the freaking model minority in all of it. Other groups have no problems stepping to the fore and saying, Hey, what's up with this background kiss? And like Asian Americans are kind of like, oh yeah, and you made one of us an under five after giving them a lead role in the other movie. You know, like we're a lot more quiet yeah. about it, and it's ironic that it's still happening, and we're still quote unquote the model minority. So, rise up, Asians. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one a shout out to George uh, George Takei. Uh, he is Asian and gay, so yes. he has been promote, promoting those a lot. He actually did a, a, a film called I think it was called Allegiance, which is about the uh, Japanese oh, yeah. inter- internment. Uh, it was a musical went during first. World War yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yay, George. 
Okay, let's uh, let's talk about writing. We haven't done that in a while. Oh yeah, we've been talking everything periphery about writing. It's not... all about industry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is our writing tip for the week. Um, I found an interesting article uh, by the Script Lab uh, about mini slugs, and I didn't know this was a thing. And it doesn't have anything to do with escargot. <laughs> Thank God. And I, you know me, I'm a formatting Nazi when it comes to scripts, and especially in the writers group. Which is good because if you don't know where you are or what's happening, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, this article, we'll put the link in the notes, talks about, you know, regular formatting of, of slug lines, which is, what, I guess, what they're calling screen headings now. Um, and new and these mini slugs, which I didn't know was a thing, but they say if you use these, it makes you look like you're not an amateur. Like you're like, I guess it's what everybody does now. I don't recall seeing them very often, but basically you have your regular interior house, you know, day, your regular slug. And then if you're in, you know, the living room, and the the guy goes into the kitchen, you just put kitchen and then, you know, on a line by itself. And that's a new slug. But because you're not changing the physical location, it's a, you can do this. So they go to the kitchen, they go to the hallway, they go to the bedroom. That's all still in the house, so to speak. And you don't have to say continuous? No, no continuous, no, uh, no repeating. Uh, you don't. Only things that change were the things that were being updated. So if it's just the location, he had a, there was a weird example of like, he walks into this one room and he walks back and now it's, it was day. Now it's not day. So he was changing. It was like, you know, living room night. I don't know how that would change it from one scene to the next, if it's Mm -hmm. continuous like that. But, but the idea being, if the main location doesn't change, you can use a mini slug to change just those things. So I say, yeah, take a look at that and, you know, brush up your, uh, your uh, scripts to make them look more professional. If that's the trend, are you guys using, is anyone out there using these? Is, am I, am I like totally new to this? You know, it's funny. Yeah. I didn't know either until you brought it up. I was like, what is this mini slug thing? I mean, it makes sense. It's probably for like a ease of reading type thing. They say it does make it easier to read. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm surprised. I'm looking at it right now and I'm surprised it doesn't, maybe they're just dropping continuous because they think it's too much, you know, wordage or something. <laughs> possibly uh i never liked continuous i always assume unless i change the location with a scene heading that everything that bef- you know between scene headings is continuous mm-hmm. that's how i always worked and i always would do the um slashes so if you had you know tom's house slash bedroom that was how you designate a location within a location and then there would be a new set, uh scene heading which would be you know tom's house slash bathroom mm-hmm. i would do that every time it would break because I feel like those are different setups. You know, you got to move cameras, you got to move um, equipment, but you're not moving location unless for some reason your bathroom is, is in a physically different location than where your bedroom that you're shooting in are because of the layout or size or style. Or I do kind of wonder, I would be curious to see who started the trend and I would be curious to see a script with it because I feel like something like this makes sense for a sort of uh quick action or like a sort of montage feel like you know like this uh this example they're giving is charlie's bedroom so like charlie's bedroom you know he wakes up and he you know takes off his robe and then you know charlie's bathroom and he brushes his teeth and then kitchen you know eats you know what i mean something quick because if it's a lot of uh a lot of dialogue in one room you might lose where you are after a while i think if you yeah don't say again you know establishing you're in charlie's house or something i don't know I could be well, wrong. they mentioned, you know, you kind of think, keep in mind who who's reading these, you know, mm-hmm. is it, you know, judges, de- uh, producers, financers, you know, development execs, they read a lot of them. So we want to make it as easy as we can for them. 
that's that's the main goal is make sure your reader is invested in the story and not in the format, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And up next, we have Sam Gash with the Ideal Remake podcast. He's also a WGA writer, so he'll be talking a little bit about that. This is my, this is, I was so, I've been looking forward to this for months. This is my, so exciting. We actually, Roshni and I sat down with Sam and recorded an episode of Ideal Remake, which is this podcast where they talk about movies that should, could, or will be remade. And we had so much fun. Um, So we're going to share our interview with him talking about his podcast and his other projects. So, so definitely stick around. So today we are interviewing Sam Gash, who's one of the writers in our writers group. Woo! Yay, that's how we met him. He's mostly a comedy writer. He's got a short film that's going to be debuting at the Hollywood, Hollywood Real Independent Film Fest in a few weeks. Yeah. Among other things. You've had a lot of things going well, on. Welcome. I, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is super fun. <laughs> Thanks for being here. My pleasure. <laughs> this, this isn't your first guest podcast appearance, is it? No, no, no. No, okay. So I've been not... guests on other podcasts before, and the thing that first inspired me to do a podcast uh, was when I guested on my friend Paul Lair's podcast, which I think he called Dead in a Pitch. Oh, that's awesome. That's uh, a good name. And so that inspired me to do my first podcast, which is called Rachel and Sam Read a Story, which was when my friend uh, Rachel Bieber and I would sit and we would read a kid's book. And we would kind of do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing about the various kids' books. And we did like 150 episodes of that because we did it weekly for like three years, but we eventually stopped and then I moved on to my new podcast. Which is which called? Ideal Remake, and you two were both guests on it. Yeah. So Ideal Remake... Um, I love the podcast. I'm a huge Thank fan. Thank you. And I was so excited to uh, come on it and do uh, do our own breakdown of uh, our movie we wanted to remake. Um, so uh, tell me, uh, go ahead and tell us why you started it and what drives you in the remake, ideal remake world. So after uh, Rachel and Sam Read a Story ended, I had about six months. And then I came up with a new idea for a podcast because I've been having the conversations with people about like remakes that work, remakes that don't, and Hollywood's all about remakes. Oh, remakes are terrible. And here's the thing. I think the concept of a remake isn't necessarily terrible, but I think the way remakes are often done is terrible because it's like, oh, just a cash grab. We're just cashing on an IP we own or we're retaining the rights to Spider-Man, whatever. Um... So, but for me, I'm like, but they can be good. If you take a movie that didn't really work initially, but had a kernel of a good idea, but like really expand on the good idea and lean into it, or if you take a movie that worked in its time, but doesn't really appeal to a modern audience, and then remaking it for that modern audience, I think there are a lot of ways to make remakes where they are in fact good. So what would make the ideal remake? So, so I had this idea and I originally pitched it to my friend Mike Bobbitt, uh, Mike's originally from Detroit, and I'm like, well, we got to start with RoboCop then. <laughs> so episode one is RoboCop, and we came up with this whole concept and these weird ideas, and then we recast the movie, and it was super fun. And we kept going, and eventually Mike moved back to Detroit uh, with his then fiance now wife, and uh, left the show to go kind of go do his own thing. Uh, and I kept the show going, because I really do enjoy talking about these movies and kind of coming up with something that's the same but different. Something that makes this movie fresh and new to where people can enjoy it today just as much as they did when it originally came out. 
And I like doing that. I think it's fun. And I hope you two thought so as well. We, I, I did. It, it was, was very fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. Good. Did have you ever had um, a a ideal remake that you've proposed actually happen, even coincidentally? I mean, sometimes we will do remakes of movies. So when I open the podcast, I say, "Is blank a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade?" So RoboCop was a movie that had been remade, which is why we talked about it. But oftentimes, I'll want to do a podcast episode because the movie is going to be remade. Last year, my friend Zach Luna and I talked about Blade because they're going to be remaking Blade. Like, that's going to happen. Uh, uh, Last year for our 50th episode, we picked a movie that I really... Because normally the guests request a movie and that's the movie we talk about. Uh, But last year for the 50th episode, I picked a movie and I wanted to talk about Space Jam because they're going to be remaking Space Jam. Um, So I, I try to time it with things that are currently happening. Like if they've announced a big remake is happening, I like to get in before it happens so we can say, well, ideally it'll be this. We'll see. Because there are really good remakes out there. I mean, like The Jungle Book was an excellent remake. I thought the Jumanji uh, movies were really fun. And I thought that they were good remakes as well. It happens. It's just, you, you gotta you gotta believe in the prop. Uh, you gotta believe in the product and you gotta have fun doing it. Any movies that you discovered doing your podcast that you're like, oh my gosh. I would say 95% of the movies that we talk about are movies I have not seen before. Oh, wow. So my movie background is extremely limited because uh, growing up, we didn't watch that many movies in my house. Watched a lot of cartoons and that sort of thing. But it wasn't until like college and really moving to LA that I really started seeing movies. Like I didn't see Jaws. I still haven't seen Jaws. I didn't see Jurassic Park for the first time until like four or five years ago. I didn't see Empire Strikes Back until college. Like, I'm slowly getting caught up on all these movies. And part of the reason why I like doing Ideal Remake is because it's forcing me to watch these movies I've never seen. Like, I talked about The Secret of My Success with you two. I'd never heard of that. Like, just the movies that are coming out uh, for the podcast uh, at the beginning of this year, we've got Pet Shop, which no one's ever heard of, but it's fun. Willow, which I had actually seen. Capricorn 1, never heard of. The Secret of My Success, never heard of. Strange Days, never heard of. But these are all movies that I'm enjoying watching. It's these fun little bits of pop culture from their time that I want to know about. And I like it. Um, The exercise of actually picking the movie was kind of fun, interesting. Roshni actually picked the movie we we did on the podcast. But it was one one of my favorite movies back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, that even just going through that exercise reminded me of movies that I'd watched a long time ago that I haven't seen in a very long time. And I think that's probably part of the fun. Absolutely. You, and, and the revisiting something from the late 80s was just mind-blowing. And the at one point, the character's like looking through papers and taking notes. And I'm like, <laughs> there's not a computer in that movie. There's, I don't think anybody had a computer. And it kind of blows your mind. It's like, you, when you think about remaking stuff like that, it's like culture has changed so much in just you know twenty or thirty years. It's amazing. There are some movies that absolutely hold up. Like all told, The Secret of My Success did pretty well. There have been other movies that we've watched or that I've seen for the first time. Like in December, we talked about Sixteen Candles, which I watched for the first time for the podcast. And I'm sorry if it's one of your favorite movies, but unfortunately, it just it simply does not hold up. It it is not a good modern movie. But it was an absolute classic in its day, so how can we kind of recapture the same magic now? Because we can't do it the same way. It doesn't work. It's it's racist and sexist and bad. 
Just a little bit. Just a little. Just, Just a lot of it. <laughs> like, have you rewatched it recently? It was one of my favorite movies growing up. Have you watched rewatched it recently? I, I'm gonna leave it in my childhood. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's probably there you go. There. Yeah, that because that's the thing. It's, yeah, but other people kind of deserve that moment. Like there are people growing up now who definitely have had a birthday forgotten. Movie for those people. Mm-hmm. Little funny. redheads running around. <laughs> So how do you think that doing this podcast has made you a better writer? Are you mostly TV or screen? Uh, I like to think of myself as mostly TV, but the thing that I got made was a was a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that got me to the WGA was a feature. Uh, so I don't know. I guess it makes me think about characters a little bit more because one of the things I try to do when talking about the podcast is I try to have a more diverse cast. I try to not have token anything uh because i think casting diverse and ca- and having a, a story that serves everyone not just a singular male lead i think makes for a better movie so with that in mind i'd like to think i try and think about that when i'm writing my scripts also hard to say but i try i definitely still fall into the same traps every once in a while like i could walk you through a bunch of them but like i try to be more conscious of that and if anything, just the collaborative price, price, the collaborative process of working on the podcast with different people, I also think makes me more open to notes because that's a huge part of writing. Like, there is no singular script that anyone has ever written ever that hasn't gotten a note that has made it better, whether we know about it or not. And I think being able to take those notes and work with other people is what makes, especially if you want to work in TV, is what makes you a good writer. And so working together with other people, whether in a writing group or uh, for a podcast, I think makes you more open to that and makes you more open to other ideas that are not yours that just be, that may be just as valid, if not better, than the ones you came up with yourself. Now, I'm curious, as a WGA writer, how has all the changes that's been going on with the Writers Guild and all the studio talks and everything, how has that affected you? So it has and it hasn't. Um, I'm, I've been in the WJ longer than I realize, but uh, I've never had a literary agent. And so literally what I had been gearing up is I'd had a letter that I was going to be using to submit to all the agencies. I'd had it finalized and I was ready. And then the new WGA thing happened. Now, I'm a very liberal person just in general. So I'm fully on board with the WGA plan. I think it's a good idea. And I think the WGA has... I think this is one of the few times where the WJ could actually do something like this because it has the power right now. It's the golden age of television. The most powerful people in Hollywood right now are often writers. And um, if they're not like lead stars, but you know what I mean. Um, And so I think now is the time. It may have hurt me a little bit, but honestly, the WJ has been really, really good at providing resources for writers and very often for writers like me who don't have other resources to get. I honestly think I've potentially benefited from it because these resources weren't available before uh, the WGA and the the associated agents, whatever, started fighting. Like, I've gotten pitch meetings through these resources, and and I've gotten uh, meetings and emails and communicating with people I never would have been able to prior to this thing. So overall, it's good because it's a union fighting big business, which is what a union is for. It's providing resources for writers that weren't otherwise available. And it's encouraging the WGA to organize events where the writers can meet other writers because the people that hire writers for TV are writers. 
So for me, I think it has been predominantly positive. And I think that, great, I think that this is absolutely the time and I think that they should keep going because I think it's a good thing that they're doing. Was that the answer you were expecting? No, that's good. I mean, because we actually haven't had um, a Writers Guild writer on the show and we were curious about how it's, you know, because it's just everything's in the news, it's all hearsay. It would be interesting to know, like, how it's affecting people who are actually in the Guild. Yeah, you know. I'm literally going to a WJ networking event this Sunday and they're like, tell us what you're about. Tell us what you want. What's going to be in the packet. And then you get to come in and meet a bunch of other writers. I'm like, great. The guest, like the my guest for one of the episodes this season I, was a writer I met through the WGA networking events. Awesome. I think it's great. It's just people I wouldn't know. That's a relationship that might not uh, have any benefit for four, five, ten years, but it's people I might not otherwise meet. Writers are very uh, uh, seclusionist. Is that the word I want? Uh, introverted? Uh, introverted. <laughs> One of those things. All Agoraphobic? Those. No, I'm just kidding. All of those at the same time. And so any opportunity that puts us in the room together, I think is good. More for that, please. <laughs> so tell us about this film you've got. Oh, the short oh, film? The short, yeah. So the short film is called Stopped. Uh, it's premiering uh, February 19th at 4 p.m. in like a block of shorts at the uh, Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival, which I'm very excited about. Uh, it is Waiting for Godot at a Bus Stop. If I'm going to boil it down into a single thing. So when I was in college, I double majored in drama and economics. And uh, one of my drama majors was drama professors was really into like absurdist style theater. And we did a lot of absurdist style things. And so the the origins of absurdism are post World War Two, when we're kind of in like the Cold War, everyone were kind of like, there was a, a fear of dying in a nuclear holocaust and like what that would mean. And that's kind of what spawned the absurdist movement of post-nuclear holocaust, what's the world like? Well, uh, it's a time right now where we're all terrified all the time of dying in a nuclear holocaust. And uh, who knows what the world would be like in just a couple of years or when the ice caps melt or once Australia stops being on fire. Anyway, the time for absurdism seemed nigh. <laughs> so the interesting thing about it is that I've had people read it or watch it short and like, oh, it's just a cute little uh, uh, rom-com. It's a will they, won't they? And I'm like, yeah, watch it again. And then you kind of start picking up on some of the, the things about it. That's cool. And you wrote and produced it? I wrote and produced it, but I did not direct it, nor did I star in it. I, I think you need to have people around you that can... That, that, I think it's better to have a conversation than to just be like, this is what we're doing. Uh, so it was directed by my friend Jay Hanna, uh, who's a production uh, 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 locations manager for all sorts of TV shows and Shondaland and all that fun stuff. Uh, and yeah, we filmed it in North Hollywood in July outside, which was a mistake. Um, it's okay. We only we only walked away with a little bit of heat stroke, um, but yeah, no, it's super fun. When is the festival? In a couple of weeks. So my episode. Uh, not my episode. My short is going to be February 19th, 4 p.m. Uh, at the Regency Theater downtown. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. That will probably be the day after this airs. But that's okay. That means that you have plenty of time to get your ticket and come on down. <laughs> Meet your hero, Sam Gash, the Regency Theater. Uh, and, and, uh, plenty of tickets still available. <laughs> Hundreds of tickets still available. Uh, anything else you're working on? You wanna, uh, oh, is there a website for the short? Or uh, there's not a website for the short. The there's a website for the festival, and there's no trailer. I mean, it's a short. It's hard to do a trailer. It's a five-minute short. It's hard to do a trailer without being like, here's the whole thing. 
Um, I mean, I'm always working on a bunch of different things. We were talking earlier. Uh, last year, I was basically a year of me working on scripts and things with other people. This year, I'm trying to come up with a couple of different scripts for myself. So I just recently completed the first draft of a, a sci-fi pilot that I'm fond of. Cool. Yeah. All right. And if you want to follow you online, Ideal Remake and your... Uh, Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram. Instagram's probably the better one. That's where the pictures live. Uh, and then uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam Gash. S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. I'm occasionally witty. Great. Thanks for being on uh, Radio yes. Group Therapy. Thank you Thank so you. much for having me and letting me talk. <laughs> Just nonstop. So many words. And... The term is logoria. <laughs> Logo for words, ria meaning can't stop. <laughs> we should have put that earlier. <laughs> we should put that as the like preview. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you both very much for having me. This is fun. Yeah.